Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hey, everyone. Good to be with you tonight. My name is Jim Woods, and I'm on staff with Challenge. And it's great to see you all here tonight. Uh, Before we get started, I wanted to make a few comments about one of our announcements, about our, our overseas experiences that Challenge is all about and we're a big fan of. Um, I want to I invite you guys to all kind of think about your summers. Think about your summer experiences as a college student. Um, on average, if, you, if you're just kind of an average college student, four-year college student, then you've, you've probably got about three, three summers at best. And maybe your degree uh, has a required internship or something like that, and so you've got even less flexibility there. And I just want you to think about how precious these summers are. Uh, later in life, you're probably not going to have these same kinds of two and a half long month experiences uh, that you can just kind of do whatever you please with. And, and during this time and this season of life, you guys, I mean, you have a lot of great opportunities in front of you for what you could do with your summers. And, and I just want to invite you to, to think prayerfully and intentionally about them. I mean, there's so many options of what you could do. You could do an internship. You could work full time. You could take summer classes. You could work for a camp or go overseas. I mean, there's some really great opportunities, and none of these are really bad options. But uh, in, in my experience um, as doing campus ministry, something I've, I've noticed with a lot of college students is that... Um, it's easy to do something that's familiar and comfortable and to just kind of repeat it over and over again, to just find something that you know, find something that you like, and just kind of do it each summer after that. Um, and, and, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I love, whenever I get the chance, I love to, to challenge and invite students to, to get outside of your comfort zones, to think about doing something that's going to broaden your worldview a little bit. I mean, think about just if you were to do something different with each of your summers, maybe one summer you, you work at a camp, one you do an internship, and then one summer you go overseas, these experiences will have a way of kind of building onto each other, adding to each other and broadening your worldview in a really healthy and good way. They'll enhance each other in a really cool way. And, and ultimately, I, I mean, I have no idea what, uh, what you should do with your summers. I have no clue. Um, and, but I love what Nate said a couple of weeks ago at Nations Night, that there isn't one right answer, but there is one right question, and that's, God, what do you want me to do with my summer? So I just, I want to invite you to think about that, pray about it, and be intentional with these precious opportunities that you have, these summers. Take advantage of them. Um, well, with all that said, I do want to just introduce my family to you. I've got uh, a couple of pictures here of my beautiful family. You'll see me and my wife, Courtney, up there with our three young kiddos. We've got Javi and Jocelyn and our youngest, Kendra. Uh, they, they are a blast. They keep us on our toes. They are so much fun to hang out with. And, and they're obviously super cute, too. I mean, just look at their smiles. They're amazing kids. Their, their ages, they're four, three, and one. So you can pray for us. Um, <laughs> they're pretty wild. It's, it's kind of an insane season of life, but we love it. It's, it's a lot of fun. 
Um, but tonight we are going to continue our sermon series through 1 Corinthians. It's called Unentitled, Finding Freedom in the Shadow of the Cross. And, and tonight is going to be a little bit of a heavier night. We're going to be talking about our bodies and our sexuality in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, the passages, they'll be up on the screen as well. But before, before we dive into it tonight, um, I want to I consider a few phrases uh, or slogans that float around our culture about sex and our bodies. So, so consider these for a moment here. It's not just sex, or it's just sex, sorry, it's just sex. The heart wants what it wants. Love is love. I can't help who I'm attracted to, so I may as well just go for it. Do what makes you feel good. It's not hurting anybody. It's just porn. Or we're planning to get married anyway, so it's fine if we do this now. These, these phrases, they're just a, a sample that represent much of what our culture and our campus typically thinks about our bodies and our sexuality. Per, perhaps they represent things that you've even thought. I'm guessing even now as I say some of these things, as they're on the screen, uh, a, a multitude of emotional reactions are rising up inside of you. What's this guy gonna say about all this? Where are we going? In our, in our culture, few subjects are more tender than our sexuality and our physical bodies and what we do with them and how we think about them. And our passage today in 1 Corinthians 6 addresses all of this head on. And it's so good for us that it does. Because it's so important for us to be informed and to think through the lens of the Bible instead of letting our culture tell us what is true about us. We've got to let the Bible tell us what's true about us, not our culture. We've been talking all semester about how many in our culture say that freedom is found in autonomy or entitlement, and defending your rights. But according to 1 Corinthians, that isn't the case at all. Freedom is found in laying down our rights. And it's found by positioning ourselves in the shadow of the cross. But how does this impact the way we view our, our bodies and our sexuality well, well, just as today, just as in today, in the, in the ancient world, there was a lot of confusion about these matters as well. In this section of the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that we're about to read through, Paul begins to bring up some slogans and phrases similar to the ones that I began with that, that the Corinthians were using as a foundation for their understanding of their sexuality and their bodies. And he quotes them and then he confronts them with the truth of the gospel the good news of Jesus. And he does this because ultimately issues about sex and how we view our bodies are, are worldview issues. We can't just spout off a bunch of rules about these things and call it good. 
we have to think about how we think about these things because how we think about these things dictates what we will do. Let me, let me show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 12. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Okay, so, so Paul begins with, with two quotes that give us some clues into the worldview of his audience, into their, their thinking. First, he says, all things are lawful for me. This, this phrase was like saying, I can do as I please. I'm free. Jesus has forgiven me, so I don't have to restrain myself. Don't judge me. This, this wasn't merely a phrase that was being used in the world around them. This was something that followers of Jesus were saying, and they were thinking this way. And this lie has absolutely crept into the minds and hearts of many of us as well. Some of you in this room, perhaps, have absolutely wrestled with, with ongoing sexual sin and have heard the whisper in your heart saying, just go for it. You know you can just ask for forgiveness afterwards. It doesn't actually matter if you do it one more time. And Paul says, no, that sin wants to dominate you. It's not trying to help you. It's not beneficial. It's trying to kill you. And next, Paul quotes another phrase. It says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And this, this quote seems a bit strange. I mean, why, why are we suddenly talking about food? But, but th this phrase wasn't being used to talk about food at all in this church. The Corinthians were using it as a phrase of justifying their sexually immoral behavior. They were essentially saying this. They were saying, look, when I'm hungry, I eat food. It's a bodily need. What's the big deal? If I have sexual desires and cravings, they need to be satisfied. It's a bodily need. It's no big deal if I hook up with someone. Man, this, this is the exact same thing that we hear in our day today. It's a bodily need. I need to have sexual release. It's no big deal if I watch porn or hook up with somebody or sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Human desire and human excuses, they really haven't changed a whole lot since the ancient times. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, sexual desire, it can be intense. I mean, how are we supposed to get relief from it if we're not married? Our culture says as long as it's consensual, as long as no one's getting hurt, then go for it. Satisfy your sexual desires. I mean, is, is this how we're supposed to think about these things? And Paul, he, he definitively says, no, no. Verses 13 and 14 say this, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us all up by his power. The body my body, your body, this, this physical neurobiological structure, it, it's not meant for sexual immorality. 
The word here for sexual immorality, it's the same word that Brian introduced us to last week, porneia. It's where we get our word pornography. This, this word was kind of used as a catch-all word to describe any sexual behavior that deviated from God's design, namely sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. This is a direct confrontational statement. Your body's sexual cravings and desire are, are not the same as hunger and thirst. I mean, just think about this for just a moment. Think about this. If, if you're hungry and you don't eat for a long enough period of time, what happens? You die, right? And, and if you're thirsty, if you don't drink water for a long enough period of time, what happens? You die. But think about this. If you have lifelong, unmet sexual desire, you're not going to die. I know it might feel like it at some times, but you're not going to die. No one, and I mean no one, has ever died from a lack of sex. This passage states clearly the body was not meant for unrestricted sexual fulfillment. And don't, don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong here. Sex is a beautiful thing. It is a gift from God. It is a good thing. It was designed by God and it has a purpose. But sexual desire is not within you for the purpose of acting out sexually for your own pleasure anytime you feel it. So, so why is it there? Why do we feel sexual desire? What are our bodies for if they're not for sexual satisfaction? And, and Paul says, they are meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So often our, our sexual desires point to even deeper desires. They, they point to our, our longing for connection, for intimacy, a desire to be loved and to love someone. They often surface when we feel lonely or are in need of care from someone else. It's, it's not just about sex. Sexual desire points to something deeper within us. And, and, and those desires, those deeper desires can only truly be satisfied in the Lord and this is a tough idea to grasp. I get it. Oftentimes in Christian circles, when, when someone is experiencing sexual desire, we, we often just tell them, just shut it down, grit your teeth through it, and ignore it. But unfortunately, what we've failed to help them do is, is learn to see what the deeper desires are beneath the surface of those sexual cravings and learn to find satisfaction in the Lord for those desires. Let me, let me give you an example of this. In, in my own life, I've, I've experienced frequent sexual desire and temptation that surfaces primarily when I'm feeling unimportant or unwanted by others. Here's, here's how things would typically play out. Life would be going just fine for me. I would enjoy friendships and relationships and 
uh, I'd do my work in my school, and then, and then something would happen where I would feel unwanted or unseen by others. I, I can think of one time uh, that a group of my friends, they had all decided together, they'd planned out a, a trip to go to Colorado together and do some camping, some hiking. They'd all planned it together. And, and as the trip date was getting closer, uh, they, they reached out to me. and They, they said, hey, uh, we're doing this trip. We'd love for you to come too. And, and that, was, that was great of them to invite me. But honestly, um, in, in that moment, I just I, I felt like an afterthought. They'd all planned it together. They're all going. And then, oh, yeah, Jim, do you want to you come too? And just felt, yeah, felt like an afterthought, felt forgotten. And, and in that moment, um, sexual temptation began to spring up within me. I wasn't able to go on the trip. And, and the whole thing just felt me feeling low. And sexual desire was just building and I, and, and I wanted to feel valued and important and, and sexual sin felt like it was the answer to that but my body was not meant for sexual immorality it was meant for the Lord the answer to my deepest longings were to experience communion with God, not sexual fulfillment. And even still, sexual desire is real. It is a powerful thing. And learning to live self-controlled in this area of our lives, it is difficult and it takes time and training. And many of us experience continued temptation to indulge in our sexual cravings, but that never leads to life. Paul, Paul also brings up how, how Jesus was raised from the dead and how we also will be raised. I mean, what does that have to do with our bodies and sexual desire? And Paul's answer is it, it has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it. If Jesus was raised bodily from the dead, and if we are going to be raised bodily in the age to come, then that means that our bodies are important. And what we do with our bodies is critical. They are good. They are gifts from God. They are important. How do you view your body? Do you, what, do you, what do you see when you look in the mirror do you, do you see it as important, as valuable, as a gift from God, or, or do you despise it? Do you bless it, or do you curse it? Do you see it as something bad and in need of modification or change, or perhaps, perhaps you worship your body. Perhaps you think that your body is all there really is to you. Have you ever considered what God thinks about your body? These, these are not easy questions to consider. For some of us, they're, they're quite painful, I imagine. Perhaps you've wrestled with gender dysphoria, and you, you can't stand the way your body is shaped. Maybe you 
wrestle with the size or the height or the skin tone of your body or your face or your proportions. Or maybe you've battled with other mental disorders about this, like things like anorexia or bulimia or excessive exercise or body dysmorphic disorder. Perhaps someone in your life has spoken horrible, hurtful things to you about your body and you're living under the pain of those words constantly. I imagine for some of you, you've you've developed a a hatred of your body. Listen to me. Your body is good and precious. It is fearfully and wonderfully made. It is deeply loved by God and he longs for you to see the beauty of it in the way that he does and for you to worship him with your body in response to that. What you do with and how you think about your body is important because your body is good and loved by God and it was made for satisfaction in him. And of course, our world and our bodies are broken. They suffer from sin and and diseases and conditions that God did not intend. And this is so tragic. And, And we're to grieve that and seek out how God wants to redeem those parts of our lives. But our bodies were made good and are still viewed as valuable by God, they are good gifts from him and we are to honor them and thank him for and worship him with our bodies. Maybe, maybe you struggle with using your body to seek out sexual fulfillment. Maybe you struggle with the way you view your body. Maybe perhaps there's a, a, a dark part of your story where your body, your, your very life has been wounded or abused in horrible ways. And and I, I, I hate that. I'm so sorry for that. Or perhaps, perhaps there's even moments in your story where you have used your body in a way to hurt someone else and damage someone else, where you have caused pain and harm. Man, these kinds of things can lead to all kinds of issues in life. But listen to me. What ties all of these things together, all of these different issues, are lies. When we are wounded, or when we wound others, or when we act out of step of God's design sexually, so often lies about who we are and how we think about ourselves and our behavior and our bodies and our sexuality. They can creep in and take hold of our hearts. And Paul is calling out those lies and inviting us into a new way of thinking, a gospel way of thinking. These lies, they want to shame us and label us. But when we step into the shadow of the cross into the presence of God's love, the power of those labels, the power of shame, those lies, they begin to break. And if we drag those lies and the pain of our story into the light, you will discover that God has a holy new identity that he wants to give you and for you to live out of. 
Paul presses this point even further. In verses 15 through 17, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So, At first, Paul argued that what we do with our bodies is important because our bodies are good. They're made by God. They're destined for bodily resurrection. Next, he argues that what we do with our bodies is important because our bodies are members of Christ and are joined to the Lord. And that when we engage in sexual behavior with others, it it unites us to them in profound and intense ways. It's not just sex. Paul even quotes Genesis where where when referring to sexual intimacy, it says the two will become one flesh. Sex is so powerful. And it joins people together in powerful ways. This is why pornography is so damaging. It cheapens sex and the power of intimacy. And, And it teaches us And it trains us to think about sex as something separated from intimacy and commitment. And as something that exists purely for our own pleasure. And hookup culture promotes the exact same thing. Sexual intimacy is a powerful thing. And if treated lightly, it can have intense consequences. I mean, this is, this is how all powerful things in our world work. Fire, electricity, nuclear power, physical strength. These powers, they are capable of tremendous and wonderful things in the right context. But if treated lightly or with carelessness, they are capable of tremendous destruction. When Paul quotes Genesis here, he he is affirming what God's intent for sex is. God's intent for sex is is for it to be engaged in exclusively in the unique relationship of a husband and wife. And and I I know that that statement is controversial. I also realize, I also realize that this would imply that God's design would be for some of you who will not get married to never experience sex. And to that point, right there, our culture, they just, they throw up their hands and they say, uh-uh, how dare you prohibit a human from experiencing sex? And th- this, is a, this is a hard truth. But the body was not meant for sex. It was meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Our satisfaction is in God Alone, Many in our world would say that we are entitled to sex and that fulfillment in this life is in pleasure and in sexual satisfaction. But as, as we lay down that, that life, as we lay down that, man, we, we, as we loosen our grip on that, 
and what we think we're entitled to, we find that life isn't found there at all. Life is found and freedom is found as we step into the shadow of the cross. And when we step out of the shadow of the cross, we find ourselves in a perpetual state of trying to find more and more satisfaction for our endless longings and trying to come to grips with our own identity and our own body and our self-image. But as we step into the shadow of the cross, we learn the acquired taste of heaven. And we realize that life and fulfillment is, is more, more fulfilling than we could possibly imagine when we are in Christ and we were finding our satisfaction in God. We find our true home, our, our true identity and our validation and goodness and the purpose for our bodies. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm not just telling you to shut down your desires and to learn to live without fulfillment in this life. I, man, I was, I was exposed to, to internet pornography when I was 11 years old. And that, that kick-started a downward spiral and all kinds of sexually immoral behavior. I acted out frequently on my own pornography, masturbation, eventually with someone else. And the world told me that the highest forms of sexual fulfillment were found in sexual experiences. But as I journeyed that road, it, it led to feeling more fractured than fulfilled. I'm willing to bet that many of you can resonate with that. Shame filled my heart. I thought, I thought that God was furious at me. He was disgusted with me. And I felt numb when I was with other people. And I engaged in sexual behavior repeatedly, and each time it was as if I just sunk down deeper into a dark, numb emptiness. And after I began walking with Jesus, I continued to wrestle with those cravings and temptations. But slowly, ever, ever so slowly, I began to learn the way of walking with Jesus that led to deep satisfying life with God. I, I learned that the voice of shame that I'd been hearing and living under, that wasn't God's at all. God was filled with compassion and love for me. He desired to rescue me from that pit that I was in and teach me his way to life. And over time, as I began to walk in more and more honesty with, with God and with others, the voice of shame began to, to get swallowed up in his relentless love for me. Paul's strong words against sexual sin here are not saying that those who have done such things are vile and disgusting and broken beyond repair. You are not broken beyond repair. He is boldly shouting, God made you, you have value, your body is good, and you have a purpose. He loves you, and he wants to satisfy your longings in the deepest of ways. He wants to rescue you and restore you. You're looking for life and sinful behavior, but Jesus has come that you may have life and life abundantly. Come to him. He knows that sexual sin and wounds want to dominate you, define you, label you but he wants to rescue you and restore you from all of that. And this leads to what Paul says next. He says, flee sexual immorality. 
Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And that word flee, man, it is exactly what it sounds like. Flee, run for your life. Get out like everything depends on it. Paul is telling us flee sexual immorality, not merely because it's wrong and immoral. It is that. But it's also trying to kill you. Some of us, man, some of us, we're, we're trying to cozy up to sexual sin. We try to make room for it. We restrict it, but, but we entertain it at the same time. We say things like, oh, I only do it sometimes, or it's not as often as it used to be. Or we don't sleep together that often, or we're not technically having sex, so it's fine. Paul would say, are you, are you kidding me? Run, get out, run for your life. It's trying to kill you. It's like an 800-pound grizzly bear that is ferocious and is ready to devour you. It's not your friend. Run. This isn't something to play around with. God has so much more in store for you. Man, I, I, can, I can vividly remember repeatedly being pulled towards sexual sin and sexual content on my phone. And, I, I man, I was, I was so reluctant to take the internet off this thing, to delete the apps that were problematic for me. I was so reluctant. I, I didn't want to get rid of that freedom. But, but as I struggled long enough, I, I mean, I made all kinds of excuses. All kinds and after struggling long enough, I began to realize this isn't freedom. This is slavery. Freedom is found in fleeing sexual immorality and resting in the shadow of the cross and in finding life in God. And once I began to make some of those hard choices... I began to taste deep and lasting satisfaction. Suddenly there was this new room in my life to experience God in deeper ways. It was choices like that that began to free me up to feel like a whole person again, not fractured and divided. Paul tells us that sexual immorality, it, it uniquely has a deep effect on our bodies. Psychologists, they say the same thing in different words. Attachments and bonds of all sorts and neurochemical shifts begin to happen when we engage in sexual immorality. It has this distorting effect on our brains and our bodies and has the power to shift the way we see ourselves and our bodies and our worth and others. And we begin to believe all sorts of lies. And that's why we must flee from it. And here's the deal. God isn't waiting for you to clean up your life and flee from all the sexual sin in your life before he'll accept you. 
The idea of this passage is that God wants you to flee from sexual immorality because he's already accepted you. He's bought you with a price, the highest price, the blood of Jesus, even with all your mess and all your pain and all your past. This is my point. You are deeply loved by God and a temple of the Holy Spirit. So drop the shame and run from the sin that seeks to pull you away from all of that. This, this is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. He has paid the price for you. He fills us with the Holy Spirit and marks us as his temple, his holy dwelling place. We don't flee so we can become good enough. We flee because we have already been bought and made holy. He wants you where you're at. Even, and he even wants to show you the path to healing and restoration. And he is determined to do so. Jesus, he is so good. He, he is filled with unending love for you. And that's why he's calling us to flee from the lies and the behaviors that are tearing us down. And this, this is heavy stuff, I know. I mean, we're, we're tackling sexual desire and struggles with body image, finding freedom in the shadow of the cross from the lies we believe about these things. And, and Paul confronts lies about these things because if we believe these lies, then it leads to feeling entitled regarding sex and finding value and satisfaction in all the wrong places. It leads to a low view of our good bodies and, and the misuse of those bodies in all kinds of ways. So, so how can we turn towards the truth and away from the lies? Oh, Here's, here's a few ideas. First, confess. Confess to God and to others. Confess ongoing sin in your lives. Confess the dark moments in your past, in your story where you have done damage to someone. Confess your sin. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is how we can step into healing. Confession breaks down shame. And we discover that God's arms are wide open. His forgiveness is available. And, and we also, we don't just need to confess sin. We need to confess lies that we've been believing and commit to the truth. Lies about sex and sexual sin that we've bought into. Lies about how it, it, how it is the source of satisfaction or how it, isn't, how it isn't so damaging or how a little bit is not gonna hurt us. We also need to confess the lies that we've been believing about our own bodies, about our self-worth. 
lies that we're not good looking enough or tall enough or thin enough or strong enough or whatever the message is and turn to believe the truth that God has given us good bodies and that they are a blessing from him and beautiful in his sight. We are, we are his cherished possessions and he longs to speak truth to us about these things. And lastly, we need to flee. Flee from the sin that is killing us. My friends, listen to me. If, if there is sin in your life that you are tolerating or making excuses for, we must take action. But not only this, it is crucial that we invite someone into the process with us. I wanna encourage you to reach out to someone, someone in your life group or your life group leader or a close friend or a roommate and, and, and be honest with someone about what you're struggling with or about your story and invite them to come alongside you and help you. And as, as we wrap up, I, I, wanna, I wanna reemphasize something. The last line in our passage it says that in light of all of this, glorify God in your body. Fleeing sexual sin and thinking rightly about ourselves and our bodies isn't merely about saying no to something. It's about a greater yes. We don't flee sexual immorality for the sake of fleeing it. We flee it so we can glorify God in our bodies. Tonight, as, as the band leads us and we engage in worship, let us glorify God in our bodies. And I, I mean it. It may sound strange, but, but put your body into it. We use our bodies for all kinds of things. Sexual, we use it for, for sinful things and, and mundane things. We use our bodies for, for jumping around at a K-State football game. But, but what if tonight, what if all of us in this room what if the hundreds of us that are here determined to glorify God with our bodies? Maybe that looks like jumping around as we sing or, or throwing your hands into the air in worship or getting down on your knees on the hard floor or singing as loud as you can with the breath in your lungs in your bodies and crying out in worship, Jesus, my yes is given to you. I want to flee from using my body in the ways that are against you. I want to flee from the lies that say that my body isn't good enough and I want to flee and glorify you with my body so let's pray let's worship and glorify God with our bodies tonight Father I thank you that you have given us good gifts that you care about our bodies and that what we do with our bodies matters I thank you that you want us to experience the fullest forms of satisfaction we can imagine in your presence. I thank you that life is not found in sexual fulfillment. Life isn't found in looking a certain way. That life is found in you. So Lord, teach us. Teach us your way. Help us to honor you with our whole selves and not live divided and fractured 
any longer. Lord, keep shame out of this place tonight. And let us worship you freely.